Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. I'm getting closer to having season two on the disappearance of Chris Fowler ready, but it's going to be a bit longer until it's complete. In the meantime, I have a few more of these one-off interviews I want to share with you. Today, I have Lorna Ferguson on the show, who is a PhD student in the sociology department at the University of Western Ontario. She's the founder of the Missing Persons Research Hub and is the book review editor for Police Practice and Research, an international journal. Lorna has a broad interest in policing research and developing evidence-based approaches to policing and crime prevention, including issues related to firearms and social media use. Currently, her research focuses on police responses to missing persons cases. We had a really interesting chat about her research and how academics and podcasters can collaborate better. Here's my conversation with Lorna Ferguson. Hello, Lorna. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was a lot of fun doing your podcast, so I'm glad you could uh, come on mine. Likewise. I think that's why it's really fun to get two podcasters talking, because we just literally talk and talk and talk. So thanks again. Oh, no problem. We're, we're good at it. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I gave an intro at the beginning uh, that told a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, but I'm wondering, can you tell me more about the research and work you're doing at uh, Western University in Ontario? Sure, yeah. So I'm doing my doctorate degree at Western, like you said, um, which is a four-year-long program. And my dissertation work specifically focuses on police responses to missing persons in Canada. So it's a national inquiry to police searches and investigations. Um, So right now, I think I've got around 30, I'd say 30 to 35 police services um, interviewed. And I think over maybe 130 participants so it's kind of broad right it talks to police at all levels so right down from frontline all the way up to chief um to administrative support and basically the point of the the project is to investigate how police respond to missing persons and a national perspective as well as regionally so looking at different provinces and territories and what they do Wow, that's uh, quite in-depth. I have to ask, academia is a long road. I mean, you don't get these degrees uh, in days or weeks. It's years. How did this all start for you? What what made you want to get into this type of research? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. It is a huge commitment. But 
for me, I have a couple of points that I like to bring up when I talk about my work. And it's num- that number one, you know, I do have a personal experience with missingness. I was kind of a troubled youth and I went missing all the time myself. I was a little bit of a troublemaker. And so I have that intimate experience with it from that child slash youth slash teenager perspective. And then I also come from the standpoint of wanting to help, you know, give a voice to people that, you know, maybe haven't had that platform to do so. So I like to study things that are relevant to vulnerable, marginalized populations. And then the third component of that is that, you know, missing persons in Canada is a huge issue. And when I started doing my master's also at Western University, I noticed that it was a huge research gap and wanted to kind of fill that void. So it's just basically marrying all my passions together and trying to do better for Canadian scholarship and the field of missing persons. That's a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, and that's to kind of expand on your research and what you're writing. Um, And I'm wondering, what are these gaps that you see? I mean, I think a lot of people listening uh, maybe don't realize that, well, first of all, that, you know, missing persons is something that's academically studied, um, and more importantly, like at the PhD level. So I'm wondering, when you first got into this doing your master's, was policing one of the big gaps that you saw, and is that why you decided to pursue that for your PhD? Yeah, so in Canada, number one, there's not a lot of research. I mean, my supervisor, Dr. Laura Huey, did a systematic review, which is basically systematically pulling all the relevant literature, uh, relevant resources out there on missing persons in Canada and found that there was only really around 20 studies over the course of three decades. And if you want to look that at that comparatively, if you look at, let's say, another topic like policing, we've got hundreds upon study, hundreds upon hundreds of studies looking at different elements of policing, but one of them obviously not being missing persons. So 20 studies over decades of um, Canadian history um, is really not enough, especially with the recognition that uh, there's a huge issue with Indigenous uh, peoples going missing. There's a lot of legislation legislative dismissals policing practices have been scrutinized there's been a lot of reviews and inquiries so coupling all these issues generates a major concern from an academic standpoint so when you say that you know it's a scholarly topic i wouldn't really say it is but i would say that that's that tide is changing we're kind of working on that with the missing persons research hub which i'm sure we can talk about later and the network that we've started there's a like a lot of different pockets of research now happening in canada Turning to the policing component that you brought up, I mean, I think a lot of podcasts and and different people have talked about how police are kind of left out of the conversation when it comes to missing persons, but they're often criticized. So there's a lot of there's a lot of scrutiny. There's definitely been a lot of bad practices in the past. There's been a lot of issues with how police respond to missing persons, but there's also been a lot of improvements. And so where I come is trying to get rid of that stigma, open up the conversation on what's happening in terms of police responses, and then also bring in the the test and track component too, which is the evidence-based or the evidence-informed perspective on police responses. And so not only is missing persons not studied enough, but also police responses to missing persons is not studied enough. So then we just have this giant issue that, you know, really is just not getting any better. The situation's not getting any better. That's really interesting. And I'm wondering, as part of that, you must, now that it's being studied uh, so thoroughly, and there's kind of, I imagine this group of, or this microcosm of people and academics looking at missing persons, do you see any trends or anything that maybe correlates with, um, you know, you know, podcast topics around missing persons or, or anything that kind of crosses over? I know it's kind of an odd question, but I'm wondering if now that you've, you know, done so much research and you know, you're doing a PhD, if, if there's any sort of uh, trends or data that you constantly see that you you think is kind of trending when it comes to missing persons 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question for a couple of reasons. One of them being that there's like kind of a disconnect between what podcasters are doing and then the reality, I would call it, of missing persons. So podcasts, you know, like you and I talked about on the episode for the Missing Persons Research Hub, um, tend to focus on drama, mystery, true crime, anything that's a little bit more sensationalized. And I understand that. That's the place for podcasts. But when it comes to looking at, quote-unquote, trends and patterns for missing persons, the reality is kind of much more mundane. Like, what we're finding is a lot of missing persons are misclassified as missing persons when they maybe should be called check well-beings or miscommunications or, you know, just late for curfews. Um, We're also finding that the cases are more to do with People like children running away from home because they're mad at their parents or families having disagreements. And so the family's kind of storming off from each other or people that are staying at, you know, institutional facilities like group homes or hospitals or shelters for for the homeless. Um, they're late for the curfew, the institutional or the facility curfew. And so the, the facility is actually reporting them missing and maybe they're not actually missing. They're just they missed their bus and they're running 10 minutes late or something similar. So I'm not saying that missing persons isn't related to crime or, or, um, you know, drama or mystery. There are definitely are cases that are very severe, very related to crime and definitely deserve that recognition. But, you know, they are arguably the minority majority of cases are, like I said, much more mundane, unfortunately, but also fortunately. <laughs> well, and I think we, we talked about this on your podcast, and I think that's why there's there's room to collaborate between people like you and myself where, uh, you know, in essence, on paper, my job is to tell a story and to have some drama and sensationalism and hopefully bring awareness uh, and understanding to an issue, uh, whereas you're supposed to, um, you know, almost discover the the academic truth and whatever your thesis is. So it's it's good that we're collaborating. And um, the reason we actually got connected is because I came across the Missing Persons Research Hub and I thought it was fascinating. Um, can you tell those who are listening who don't know what it is, um, how this came about, what it is and what your role is in it? For sure. So yeah, I founded the the hub. So I'm the founder, I guess you would call that my role. Um, And I started it because when I started talking to different people, different researchers, podcasters, I started talking to police, I started talking to community organizations. And I noticed like there's a lot of great work going on in different pockets um, across Canada. So, you know, the police are doing some great initiatives or the academics are doing some great initiatives, but we're really, really just like not talking to each other, unfortunately. And so we also don't have a space to talk to each other. And so that's where the Missing Persons Research Hub comes in. I call it the hub. That's where the hub comes in. Uh, it's to give that centralized location to network, communicate research, talk to each other. There's a forum on there. You can sign up as a member. Um, jump. There's a podcast to talk about research and work that's going on in the field. Um, there's a blog to air some thoughts out. Um, and so it's kind of a, um, a general space for people in this field that want to collaborate and talk to each other and figure out if there's some opportunities to work on things together because it's great to do work in your pocket, but if you don't start talking to each other about that work, it's not going to reach the population that it needs to help. So that's the perspective that I take with it. And there's been a lot of people that have plugged into it, which is amazing. One of them obviously being yourself. Um, and it's been kind of successful so far, but we just launched in uh, January of this year. So it's pretty early on, but like I said, it's doing really well, I'd say. 
And you and you hinted at it uh, there a little bit. There's there's a lot of components of this hub. You know, you have a blog, uh, which I'm hoping to contribute to at some point, um, podcast, which I've done, uh, and I urge everyone to go listen to. Um, you know, is there? I, I think I you know you kind of hinted at it there, but is there a mission statement for all of this? Like you know, like where you want the hub, what you want the hub to be now, and where you want. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Like where you see it going? Yeah, so there's a couple of components. I'd say there's probably about six key goals, but the ones I want to emphasize is obviously increasing evidence based work. Like we need to make sure that the practices, let's say, for example, police are using are evidence informed or evidence based because if they're not, they're ineffective, they're creating, you know, more problems or contributing to the problem. And that goes along with any other area in this 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 field it goes to community organizations it goes to podcasts even you know um so one increasing evidence-based work two increasing the scholarship in the area so more research the better um and then three talking to each other connecting communicating so those for me are my personal key goals and others have key goals that are interacting with the hub in terms of maybe getting their work out there or educating the public or trying to see if there's more research opportunities available but there's kind of a place for everyone. So for anyone listening, I'm sure you can find your space on the hub too. If you're in the field of missing persons, you know, we welcome it. We will certainly figure something out, but it's a space that I want everyone to, to use and find a, a home in. Um, because like I said, if we don't start talking to each other, we're really not going to get anywhere. We're just going to basically spin in circles, I would say. And one of the more uh, interesting things I found when I came across the hub was that to my knowledge, there's not really anything else like it in Canada. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So in Canada, there's nothing else like it. We do have the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains, but they're more from a government perspective and they do supply resources and there's a different kind of mandate to that. Um, I'm more for the public and for public education and applied research perspective. Um, and then globally, there's another center called the Center for the Study of Missing Persons in the UK, but that's more 
obviously number one UK focus and it's more of a consultancy basis so they do research with police services um, which I obviously do but that's not what the hub does the hub does the communication connection networking um, and conversational points so it's filling a gap in terms of many different areas and it doesn't exist in Canada and it also doesn't exist globally. Before we uh, launch into the discussion around podcasts and academics and how we can maybe collaborate more, um, I didn't give you this question ahead of time. So uh, if you need a second to to think about it, I, I understand. But I'm curious from an academic perspective, now that you've been through that gauntlet and you're going to be finishing up your PhD, are there any large like major disturbing gaps to you and maybe disturbing is the wrong word, but uh, maybe unsettling gaps in research and missing persons that you would encourage people to be thinking about studying it to, to go and look at? Yeah, that's a great question. And so for, for me, we, with the hub, I, I generate what's called a research database, which is essentially I pulled all research on missing persons in Canada from 2000 onward. Um, so that's two decades worth of research. And we have two main areas that are studied in Canada, and that's aging populations and missingness. So wayfinding, Alzheimer's and dementia folks going missing or wandering, um, and other related topics to the aging population in Canada. And then two is policing and response. <clears throat> and that's because that's where my research is. And so I've done quite a lot of research and, and dr- driven up those numbers um, in terms of studies available on that. The third most researched area is in relation to Indigenous populations. But everything else, quite literally everything else in Canada is missing research on it, right down to technologies, how they can help that um, search and rescue, how that can help in terms of... Um, even actually, I'll take it back a step and say even the areas that do have those main um, or major number of studies in them, they need research too. There are so many gaps in Canadian research, not only with missing persons, but across the board. I would say that if anyone is interested in getting any research going in the field of missing persons, every single topic needs something contributed to it. So there is, like I said, space for everyone there. That's that's a really great answer. Uh, how can people find the hub? What's the best way for them to um, Google it or look for it on social media or online? Yeah, it's pretty easy. So you just missingpersonsresearchhub.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter. It's MPRH Canada. Um, same for Instagram, MPRH Canada. Um, or you can find me or just Google missing persons research in Canada and that will pop up. I think it's like the third or fourth link that you can click on. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very easy to find. I just wanted you to plug those links. Um, you know, moving away from the hub now and getting a bit more abstract or maybe philosophical, we had a really good chat on your podcast about, um, you know, the, well, the lack of and the pros to academics and podcasters like ourselves, um, collaborating. And I'm wondering, and I think you alluded to this on your podcast, um, from your perspective, what can podcasters and storytellers like myself do better to collaborate with academics like you? Is there, is there, is there a way to approach it or a way, a way to go about it from your perspective? It's difficult because a lot of academics, are often concerned with talking to podcasts or putting their work out there for a number of reasons, but one of them just being that we come from kind of a different language or a different space. And so some of us like to sit in our little caves and not talk to people, or some of us like to, you know, collaborate in different ways, like writing blogs or research briefs or research reports. And that's totally fine. But 
I would say to the podcasters out there, if you want to get some context from researchers or contribute to a topic or like, for example, with me, if you want to talk about police responses to missing persons in Canada, just shoot, shoot us a DM or an email or, or look us up through the Missing Persons Research Hub. Like nine times out of 10, you'll get a response and the one person that doesn't respond, whatever, maybe they're just not worth it anyways. But no, I'll take that back. But anyways, my point being, the worst case scenario is that you either get ignored or you get a no or turned down. But um, I think it's important for podcasters to bring researchers on their talks for setting the stage, contributing that evidence, informed or evidence-based conversation to the narrative, to the story, and understanding maybe how the processes work in the background. And like I said, for myself, I can talk about the processes from a policing perspective and what I've you know, witnessed nationally occurring for police responses, because that's something that's often left out of the equation when police are criticized in the media and in podcasts. They don't often get to respond to that. But I would happily do so um, because I want to be able to have those conversations and make sure that we're advancing the situation instead of just creating the same issues or spinning in circles, like I've said. So longer story shorter, I would say, reach out to academics and for any academics listening, I would say reach out to podcasters because I think that the more that we talk to each other, the better work that we can do. That's great. And I highly encourage it because it's, it's, this has been a great experience uh, collaborating with you. And I want to ask you um, something that, again, I didn't really send you ahead of time, but I'm curious to get your perspective on it. Um, as someone who's now, you know, you have your own podcast with The Hub in general. And I mean, you don't have to point out, um, you know, specific podcasts, but I'm wondering from an academic perspective, is there something more you'd like to see um, in Missing Persons podcast? Like, is there a certain kind of trend or style or approach that you maybe don't see as much and some of the other podcasts out there that you're hoping maybe, um, you know, will happen in the future. And, and yes, I'm sitting here taking notes to, to whatever you say so that I can, uh, you know, go ahead and do this. But I'm really curious from an academic perspective, you know, how do you perceive a lot of these uh, really popular uh, mainstream podcasts uh, that cover missing persons? I'm honestly sitting here smiling because I love hearing that. Uh, thanks for opening the stage for some feedback. But, you know, I have to say I was absolutely willing to collaborate with you because I liked your approach and your approach is pretty simple. It's being transparent, being honest and forward, kind of more so sticking to the facts. And this is not to criticize a lot of podcasts that are out there. It's just saying that some are more sensationalized than I'm comfortable with being a part of. Um, so like I said, sticking to the facts, you promote yourself, you connect with other people that are outside of maybe your immediate circle or the podcasting circle. And that's including researchers like myself. I mean, I haven't, been able to connect with any other missing persons related podcast because that door hasn't been opened yet and that's not to say that won't happen in the future but being open for collaborations you know being open to hearing different perspectives that maybe don't fit the typical narrative that um has been set up maybe less myster- mysteriousness more to the reality you know just st- different stuff like that um do help contribute to moving m- missing persons forward instead of sticking in with the the regular, which gets you a lot of views, right? And so that's my perspective. And like I said, there is a place for the podcasts that do those things that I just kind of quote-unquote criticize, maybe not criticize, but called out. Um, And I do acknowledge that there's a place for that. So not to say that they're doing anything wrong or anything like that, but just saying that there's also a place for people that don't do those things too and stick to the reality and stick to the conversation and stick to the evidence 
if that helps, I think, answer your question. Yeah, no, that, that's a great answer. And I think there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, you know, when I was doing my master's, you learned very quickly that um, constructive criticism is part of everything that you do. So I think as long as the feedback we're giving, and I think what you said is, is constructive, then I think absolutely. Um, and I know that through our conversations, I've really, um, you know, taken heed and taken mind to a lot of things that you said. And I will, um, you know, think about that going forward with some of the series that I do. So, um, yeah, I know you're getting very close to uh, defending your PhD. Uh, by the time this comes out, you'll probably be, um, you know, days, days to it. So I want to wish you luck on that. And I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. And I hope we can uh, stay in touch and keep collaborating. Thank you, Tyler. I love that. And we definitely will. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lorna. You can check out the Missing Persons Research Hub at the link in the description. I plan to do a few more of these prior to Chris's series, so stay tuned for that in the next few weeks. As always, thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast with me, Tyler Hooper.